Dr. Kate Hendricks Thomas held a PhD in health promotion and graduate degrees in women's studies and health promotion management. She was on the faculty of George Mason University's Department of Global and Community Health and the author of several books, including Invisible Veterans and her newest, Stopping Military Suicide. Behavioral health research published in journals like Advances in Social Work, Military Behavioral Health, Traumatology, and Gender Forum has been praised as masterful and constructive. Her social commentary had been featured in the Washington Post, The Hill, Task and Purpose, and on National Public Radio. This podcast is brought to you by Acuity Benefit Consulting. Retaining military veteran talent is critical to your bottom line. So give them a specialized resource for the benefit that they value most, VA Disability Compensation. Acuity provides them with an in-depth, one-on-one educational session on VA disability benefits curated to your veterans' needs. For more information, contact Navy veteran Ray Hun at acuitybenefitconsulting.com. Again, that is www.acuitybenefitconsulting.com. When did you join the military? What branch was it that you joined and why? Uh, I joined the United States Marine Corps in May of 2004. Um, uh, I joined the military probably because we, you know, we grew up as, as military brats. It was just part of our culture. Um, you know, we were on bases. We moved around every two years. Um, all of our, most of our friends were, um, Marine Corps brats. Um, it was just, um, the childhood that we were reared in, uh, was military service and it was just kind of embedded, you know, um, imbued in us that, uh, you know, service to something bigger than yourself is, is what you do. Um, so I guess, um, that's the, the reason why I just thought it was something natural. I didn't think I was going to do it for forever, but, um, it's something that I, I felt called to do. Um, uh, so I, I went into the Marine Corps as a second lieutenant in, in May of, uh, 04, and then, uh, went through the pipeline and became an infantry officer. Um, when I was with the uh, third battalion, seventh Marine regiment out of 29 Palms, California. And we deployed to Ramadi, Iraq back in, um, I guess it was 05, right, right before Katrina happened. Um, so that, um, I, I think that's the main thing is just a sense of this is what your family does. This is what an American Patriot does. Um, and then why the Marine Corps, I guess, over the other branches, it's just, um, you know, you do what your dad's craft, right? My dad was the Marines for 26 years. Um, and we'd always been around primarily, uh, Marine Corps, uh, families and, and that culture. So it really was there. I mean, there were options, but we never really considered them. You know what I mean? It was just, at least for me, it's a, that's just the one that, that um, you were going to go into. 
Yeah, you kind of go with what you know, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know if it's the same in the Marine Corps. I imagine there's a lot of sim similarities if it's not exactly the same. When you're an officer, how much of an option or choice do you have when it comes to b branching or picking infantry? So, um, not a whole lot. I mean, there are, there's a preference. All Marine Corps second lieutenants go to the basic school upon commissioning. And that's a six month long course where, I mean, you have like the lawyers, they're going to go be lawyers and then the flight contracts are going to go be flight contracts, but everybody else is just kind of competing, um, in this school where everybody is trained as a, as a, um, as an infantry officer. Um, and then they rank you based on how you perform physically, uh, academically, and, and, um, you know, with, with, with weapons and all of that. And then you, at the end of it, you can kind of make a preference that you, you rank all the MOSs, all the jobs that are available. And, um, they basically, um, the staff at that time will place you based on a, a quality spread, they call it. So if you're the top tier of, of each of the, the three tiers, I guess, um, then, um, you get to kind of, you're probably going to get your, your top choice or top three choices. Um, but otherwise they just kind of place and plug you where you, where you want. But I think it's different in, in regards to the army where, where a lot of my classmates were, you know, from, I went to the Virginia military Institute where a lot of people were, um, already knew what they were going to be before they even commissioned. So it's different in that regards. Yeah. Well, and I will say the the part that's similar is uh, another, an army officer that was on the podcast previously. Um, the last thing on her list was chemical. And so that's what she did. Because <laughs> uh, when it came to the, I guess when it came to the school ranking, she wasn't at the top of her class. So she, she kind of got what was left over, which was the very last thing on her list of things to do. So yeah. Murphy's Law, right? That's right. Needs now, the or army. Yeah. Department of Defense and their numbers. I tell you what. Um, now when you when you so how long did you serve? Was it six or eight years or did you retire? How did that work? Uh, it was a little over two years. Um and I was uh and I re medically retired. Okay. Awesome. Do you care to talk about that at all or not really? Um, not a whole I mean, I can. I was wounded in uh, Ramadi, Iraq, uh, IED explosion um, uh, back in 05, um, October of 05. And um, that kind of began that began the process of, um, uh, you know, moving on after that. But, um, okay. um, yeah. Did you know a Scott Husing? No, it doesn't sound familiar. Um, he was a Marine Corps infantry infantry officer, and he was a guest on here. He wrote a book called Echo in Ramadi because he was the Echo Company commander um, and just talked about that experience um, there. I just didn't know if y'all happened to at least know the name. I'm familiar with that title. I feel like I started to read it. I, I started to read that book, yes. Yeah, he, he retired as a major um, that was an infantry officer, and... One of the things that I distinctly remember that I that I loved, because I, I mean, I, obviously I liked it because I still remember it. But he said that one of the things that he did, he said, was that you know, Marine Corps in the Marine, um, if Marines can't do anything else, Marines obey orders. So when they landed on the ground, um, and, that, and so that's why they ate crayons because he told them to eat crayons or something. I don't know. Uh, but he said when they hit the ground, 
before they started setting up their stuff, he, he said that he looked them eye to eye and said, this is your direct order. You will kill the enemy. And he said he felt like doing that, that that was necessary because even um, even the most hardcore, rough and tough Marine, that when you do that first kill, it's um, it still impacts you. It still can hit home really hard. But what would make it lessen the impact would be that I, I was obeying a direct order from my commander kind of thing. Oh, yeah. I think I remember reading that part. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that was pretty awesome. But awesome. So, um, well, before we move to Shane, um, why don't we uh, at least mention Kate, your sister Kate. So she joined the Marine Corps a couple years before you did. Um, why is it that she joined? Is it the same thing? I think similar. Uh, yes. Uh, she was actually, we were both, um, ROTC scholarships at our respective schools. Uh, she, um, started off actually Air Force ROTC and she did that for about a, I think she did it for about a year. At some point she transferred over, um, to the NROTC. She just was more impressed with, um, with, uh, the, the culture and the, um, attitudes, the uh, focus of the midshipmen who were part of the NROTC unit at UVA. Uh, and obviously, she was familiar with the Marine Corps culture and, and was drawn to that after exposure to uh, the Air Force ROTC. So she switched over and um, similar, uh, similar ideas, you know, um, uh, the ideas that were ideals that were um, taught to us from our dad. Um, so yeah, she commissioned in 2002 from the University of Virginia, out of the University of Virginia, and then uh, went on and became a military police officer. Okay, I, I yeah, so she was in military police, you were infantry. All, that's that's pretty awesome. Um, and y'all ran in, y'all ran into each other across paths in Iraq. Yes, actually, she was stationed in uh, Fallujah at the time, um, and we were just coming into uh, Iraq just coming into the theater and um, somehow she found out where we were going to be uh, choppering in. I guess it was, I don't even remember exactly, maybe it was TQ. Um, and somehow she got on a convoy from Fallujah to TQ. And when we were going in, like first getting off, um, first first uh, getting into, let's say it was TQ, um, uh, she was there um, as I was getting off the birds. Uh, it was pretty wild. Um, and I did, I did not know she was going to be there. Um, it was the middle of the night and, um, and then we were able to have, I think breakfast the next morning and hang out just a little bit before we started to get ready to, to, to move into, um, into Ramadi. Um, so yeah, that was pretty special. Yeah. I was going to say, it sounds like it was pretty special to be able to do that. Um, it was, that's, that's not, that's not normal. Um, yeah. that's pretty awesome. Um, uh, so Shane, <laughs> You were in the Army, not the Marine Corps. At Correct. We have, we, at least we have a little bit of, you know, level-headedness in the conversation. Absolutely. <laughs> so, what's your story? What 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 um, prompted you to join the military and do what, do what you did? So, I had uh, actually graduated high school six months early, and I started community college. Uh, didn't really have a path forward as, as to kind of what I wanted to do. Uh, and 
at the same time as I'm getting done with all my basics, uh, it's, it's becoming apparent that, uh, my parents worked, uh, well off and it was getting to be a little bit of a burden to pay for college. Uh, so I was, uh, I always had that in the back of my brain. Uh, and then my parents were also divorced, so I didn't really have much of a structure, uh, growing up. Uh, and it was, I was 20 or I was about to turn 20 and it was time to kind of start figuring things out as adults. So, uh, my aunt, uh, who by marriage, uh, her brother was a police officer and he and I would go do odd jobs. We'd go, uh, help a couple of his buddies move, uh, a couple of times, or we, we hang out. Um, I was always pro, uh, pro military, pro police and everything. So, um, he and I had a discussion and he referred me to a recruiter that he was talking to. He was a former devil dog and he was looking and going back in. Uh, he had done six years and gotten out and became a cop and now was looking for a reserve, uh, unit. So he passed me off to a recruiter, uh, recruiter and I, uh, did the trip up to Nashville and took the test and I enlisted without my parents knowing, um, and, uh, set off with three goals, which was pay for college, get some experience and get some structure. Um, so I went into the army national guard for Alabama, uh, went for the 20th special forces group. Uh, they pulled me in as military intelligence doing imagery intelligence and, uh, did about 11 months worth of training to include jump school, got out. And then about a year and a half after I got out of all that stuff. We were on our way over to Iraq, um, did my tour in Iraq, came home, went to Tuscaloosa to start wrapping up my degree. And then when it was time for me to ETS in January of 14, uh, I had a brand new fiance and I had a kid on the way and, uh, I figured it was time to close that chapter and start moving on. So. Would that fiance's name be Kate by chance? It would be. I've only had one. So, <laughs> this might be a part of the This is this. This would be awkward. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you military guys can jump through them. I mean, it is, or, I, I'm not one of those. You were there. Yeah. <laughs> I heard one guy when he was getting a divorce said, yep, the army issued me the wrong spouse. Ah, uh, yeah. I hear that a lot. Yeah, either I'm not married because they, the army didn't issue me a spouse or they issued me the wrong one. I need to try for a new one now. Yeah, well, the army didn't issue me this one, which is why I think it worked. So, Yep, because military equipment doesn't work too good. No, I don't. So with, with Kate being in the Marine Corps and you being in the army, um, how did you? How did the two of you meet? Uh, I went to, so like I said, I... Turn. I was in Iraq actually, and we were we were stationed there um, from March actually. Oh man, today. So it was today, March eighteenth. So it was twenty eleven. That's twelve years ago. So twelve years ago today um, was when we landed in Iraq, and we. I was there until I think a couple days before Halloween. And we were there to help close everything down. Um, and so halfway, maybe even two months, two or three months into deployment, um, my S2 uh, OIC came up to me during one of my shifts and asked, uh, he said, what are you doing when you get done with this? And I said, I don't know what you mean. And he said, what are you doing after the deployment? 
And I said, I've got no plans. And he said, well, you kind of need to make some. So I, I want, uh, he gave me an order. He said, you can think about it as long as what you want, but I want at least a progress report or an update within the next few days as to what you're going to do. Um, and so I came back to him and said, I, I guess I'm going back to college. And then he said, great, where? Um, and I said, I got no clue. And at that point I started figuring out, all right, well, I'm going to have GI Bill. Uh, I'm an Alabama guy where if I'm going to have the military pay for most of my tuition, where is it I would rather go? And that would be the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. So started there January, 2012. Um, and I love, there's a good buddy of mine, uh, who we can pick up a phone and talk to each other. He's a former army guy and, uh, he's doing great things over in Tennessee. He had this best, he had the best line. He said, I've moved to Tuscaloosa and I was making straight A's, but I was absolutely miserable, um, because we didn't know anybody. So there was, he and a few others, uh, started up a campus veterans association group. And I came in early in that process. I found a flyer. Uh, so I started linking up with these guys who were all veterans who were all older, you know, five, six, 10 years older than most of the kids on campus. And about, I don't know, a few months into that, we, uh, crossed paths with Kate. Kate came and did a presentation for a different, uh, veterans organization called Team RWB. She was standing up a chapter, uh, between Tuscaloosa and Birmingham, and she was going for her PhD. Uh, so we crossed paths there, um, crossed paths a few different times doing workouts because a lot of our campus veterans association guys, we'd all link up and go do the RWB events. Uh, so we kept crossing paths, uh, and then eventually she and I started dating. Um, so and it kind of, things kind of took off from there. Man, Alabama guy. Oh, and by the way, I did hear some echoes of Roll Tide when you were talking about that. I mean, yep. look at you, man. You're like, heck yeah. <laughs> well, I can claim it because I'm an alumni. Most of the state can't claim it. <laughs> so, They're too busy playing with the red clay. Uh -huh. <laughs> Anyways, so yes, uh, Kate's father wasn't too sure about me when she pulled pulled uh, me up one Thanksgiving. Uh, but I think at some point he came around. I don't know when, but he, he probably came around. It it didn't help though when he said we were I forget which house he was in at that point, but uh, we were standing tall, and he made a comment, and he said yes, sir, and I pulled your line out of my out of my hat too, and I was like I'm not a sir, I work for a living, and Kate looks at me with lasers through her through her eyes as if she would boil me to a pulp uh, right there where I stood. Never say that again, and because she was an officer too, so. So Matt, for you, what was that like being the brother and your sister getting ready to get married to this Alabama army guy? Well, it was, it was kind of sudden. I didn't know him. I never heard, I maybe heard, you know, I'm seeing somebody, but it, I didn't really, um, I was kind of shocked by it all because it, um, it was just so sudden, you know, um, but I guess it's different for your for your siblings than than perhaps parents. Um, you know, all you kind of do is just support and um, say, okay, well, best of luck. Let us know if you need anything. And uh, otherwise, it just there wasn't like a big ceremony. Or, I don't even think there was a there wasn't a ceremony. Um, so it it 
everything just kind of happened. And, um, you know, I was just starting out uh, with my own personal stuff and, you know, uh, transitioning out of the, of the military and, and, um, starting a, a new career. So I don't know, it was just kind of always in the background and, you know, Kate's got a good head on her shoulder. So I figured, you know, whatever she's doing, you know, she's got to know what she's doing. So, you know, love and support. That's all we can do. Yeah. We were two broke college kids and we were, uh, staring down the barrel of graduation and I was getting out with my bachelor's degree. And Kate was getting out with her PhD, so obviously we're gonna have to move to wherever she's gonna try and teach at whatever university. So we had uh, we got hits in a courthouse on our way up to Charleston, South Carolina, so that she could interview uh, for a job at Charleston Southern University, and uh, still had the kid on the way, our son Matthew, and um, we were on the way there we got married and then not long after that interview she was given the offer and she took it and uh we moved to charleston so it was 2014 was a very busy year of not just me transitioning out of my contract kate not long before that had transitioned out of her contract i think from the ray corps reserves and then we were married and had a kid and had a new job and starting it up in a new city so it was that's right it was it was a lot in 2014 so but you made a good decision charleston south carolina but i am a little bit partial because that's where i grew up so what do i know so matt um i understand that you and kate were pretty close is that right or no yeah i would i, I would say she was probably one of my best friends uh definitely growing up and you know, we moved around every two years uh all the way up through you know, I was probably a sophomore in high school and she was a senior, uh, was probably the last time that we moved. But so our entire, Kate and I, our entire childhood, we moved around. So we were always each other's best buds and she was always kind of the alpha of the pack. There's four of us. Um, so we always looked to Kate, you know, to what we we're going to do. And, you know, we were really tight friends. Um, you know, we went up through school together, um, high school. And then, you know, when I was getting ready to go to school, college, she was, um, always my guide. Um, so yeah, fair to say the one person I could call, um, who would always listen, provide sound advice, be there if you needed anything. Um, it would never judge, um, you know, never, never, never have a judgment, uh, about what you were doing or what you said or questions that you asked. She was always just ears open, heart wide open. Um, and like I said, be, be there for you. No questions asked. Um, so yeah, she's uh, a very, very, more than just a sister. She's one of my best friends, if not my best friend. And so I don't, you know, I don't have any family in the military, so I, I cannot relate to that. But I imagine, or, and, and I'm curious if if this is the case that um, she's your sister, um, and then she's your, your biological sister, and then she's your sister in arms. Did that when both of y'all were in the military? Did that tighten y'all's relationship at all? Or was it just stay the same? I think it kind of stayed the same, to be honest with you. Um, and again, our worlds were so different. She was further ahead in the pipeline than I was, obviously. And then, um, I don't know, we, we, when you're, when, as you know, like when you get into the Marine Corps or the, the military, you're just go, 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 like laser focused on what you're doing. And obviously at the time, everybody was getting ready to deploy. So, um, 
I don't know. We, I didn't, I remember just training all the time. Like, so I, I don't remember thinking too much, uh, you know, all my sisters in this as well. Like it did. It... So, uh, yeah. So I, uh, I, I guess now reflecting on it. Yes. But at the time, probably not. Yeah. And I get that. That makes sense. I mean, I, you know, she would, even though it did not, that your closeness didn't really change. I imagine at the, at least in the back of your mind, you knew she was there if you needed to right. tap into that knowledge of hers. Right. And she had, you know, gone through the basic school. She had gone through OCS, like all of the things that I was going to go through. She was always kind of a phone call away of what to expect, you know, and she, yeah. she was the first to deploy. She went to Fallujah first. So all yeah. those things. Yeah. So Shane, when you guys, um, went to Charleston, South Carolina, and you guys got settled in. How settled in were you when cancer became a thing? We were never settled in. Okay. Uh, that, was, that was part of the reason why we moved up here to Northern Virginia was we had, uh, we moved into a house uh, when we first got there and we're renting from uh, one of her uh, old Marine Corps buddies who was in the process of going through a divorce. Um, and the house was just bigger than what we needed it for. So we actually moved down the street, like about four or five houses down. Um, but we were there in Charleston for about four years and uh, couldn't find a way to break in. Uh, part of that was not being very available because we had a young child. I mean, you're very limited in what you can do when you've got an infant. Um, so that kind of hindered us a little bit. But uh, we also were... Uh, two, you know, two new graduates trying to scratch and claw and climb and, uh, you know, establish ourselves. Um, I called it, it was one summer where I called it the summer of hell, where I was working full-time in an IT internship for the State Department. I was also going time and a half for a graduate degree. Kate was in the middle of writing her first book, and then she was working full-time and we had, was he, he was almost about one. So he was just shy of one. So, and our son was that. So we had uh, a lot of uh, turmoil and strife uh, for the first few years. And then towards the end of our tenure there, we started kind of being able to breathe a little bit. Um, so things started getting better, but uh, we still, still weren't quite settled. There were often times where uh, she was applying and I was applying to other jobs in different cities um, and nothing really worked out. Um, but that was for, that was for a reason. Um, so when she gets diagnosed or uh, I'm at work in January 10th, 2018, uh, she calls me and I knew that she had a meeting with the doctor that day. Uh, something made me want to pick up the phone. So I walk out in breezeway and Hey, what's going on? Um, uh, how you doing? Well, the doctor said that they found something. Um, they need more tests and everything. So it was a whirlwind of a month, um, that went from diagnosis of, okay, we found it. We found a lump, a whole week's worth of here's surgery, here's radiation, here's chemo. And this is everything that we've got. It's a one-year plan to, Nope, scrap everything that we talked about last week. Uh, you got six to 10 years and uh, you start treatment in two days. Um, and the day that Kate, was it, was it the day or the day after 
Kate got her first treatment, we flew up here because it was our nephew's birthday. And we stayed the weekend with Matt and Lynn um, because we needed to be by family. So that was January 2018. And we knew we couldn't stay in the same house that we were at because we needed to start planning ahead for community building. And so beginning, we had been batting back and forth. How are we going to make this work? How are we going to make this work for a few weeks? March comes around and we had tried to sell our house in Charleston twice before because we just weren't settled um, and had no no offers or anything. Uh, we start getting the house ready for sale in a month out. Um, there's no way that I'm going to, you know, I'm reading the book from the CEO of Zillow. I'm, I'm, we're, there's no way we're going to let this, let anything go wrong this time around. And then 72 hours before we put the house on the market, Matt calls Kate and says, Hey, the house next door, it's going to come available. And we said no. <laughs> Because we did the math and we were like, there's not a chance we can make this whole thing work. Um, and then uh, the night before, I mean, we I deleted it since, but I had spreadsheets that I found a couple of years ago. Um, and I'm doing the math and there's not a chance it can work. And so the night before the house goes on the market, Kate and I prayed together and said, hey, if this is going to be something that, you know, is supposed to happen. It's it's not only got to be uh, it's not only got to be, you know, one or two coincidences. This has got to be loud. It's got to be loud. It's got to be in your face. It's got to be this is this is what's going to happen. So within the first uh, I think our house launched on MLS at 9 a.m. By 9 p.m. that evening, we had one offer. Two days later than that, we had another offer, a backup offer. Um so there was no way that we weren't getting out of that house. Within three weeks, Kate had gotten a job with uh, the Mission Continues, which is a veteran service organization. My job was working paperwork and getting everything ready to transfer me up here to their office in Northern Virginia. Um, every domino started falling into place. Um, and then in late June, actually mid-June, uh, we were up here. We were staying with Matt and Lynn for a couple of weeks, I think, and then moved in next door. And we've been here ever since. So, Matt, when they told you no first, did you find yourself still trying to push and be like, dude, I need you to get my sister up here? <laughs> no, not really. Um, you know, Kate, before she went to Alabama, she went to um, she was working on her master's degree at I think it was American University. And um, uh, I'd always loved uh, the show Friends. I thought oh, it'd be cool if, like, we're you know, we could be like Ross and and um, his sister um, Monica. Monica, yeah, um, you know, and just be <laughs> close by. That'd be awesome. And um, it never, it, it kind of worked out for a little while, but then obviously she moved to Alabama. Um, so when I when I presented it to her, I thought it was a pipe like the hard, uh, you know, long shot for sure because uh, it's expensive to live here. Um, and we had talked even before this house became available, um, you know, about looking in Hayfield, this, this neighborhood, and, um, it just didn't seem like the numbers were going to, were going to work for them. Um, so I, I was just, no, nah, I said, I'll, I'll, you know, my buddy was leaving this house and, and, um, you know, we started to see if we could 
make it work or tell them we, we might have a buyer. Um, I said, I'll throw, I'll throw it to her and, and just see what she says. But when she initially said no, I wasn't surprised that she said no. And I, and I wasn't going to push it any further. I was just, Hey, I'm just sending you some information. She's like, I'm type a, I got this. I'm running this place yeah. back off. <laughs> uh, yeah i mean yeah she, she i mean she, she, was, she was just, yeah you know i just i i feel like i remember her voice being like yeah it's cool i just it just can't work you know i just don't see how it's gonna work and then what classic hendrix um hendrix mode uh 24 hours later she's like we're gonna try and take it and i was like whoa <laughs> actually i blame god on that he made it loud and clear so uh so there we go see, be we careful took, what uh, you ask for you just might get it <laughs> well i mean we took uh we took a big leap of faith and, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where, um, we, we took the jump and we didn't know how we were going to make it. We just knew we were going to put all our faith in God and hope that he could end up delivering for us because I, I can't emphasize enough how often she would interview or fill out applications for a different town, a different city, a different university. I mean, we had feelers out. Charleston just did not feel like it was meant to be, Mm -hmm. our permanent place uh, for one reason or another and um, we're lucky that it didn't because without that drive and that push after she got uh, diagnosed we wouldn't have been able to land here so um, when we moved finally moved up here um, and she had she had concerns about you know hey we don't know how long this is going to end up going we hope it's going to last a long time but uh, she was concerned about me taking Matthew away and moving him back to Alabama because it's still so expensive up here. But we kind of, mm -hmm. you know, we took the for King and country line of burn the ships and uh, don't look back and fight like hell and do everything that you can to make it all work. And God took care of the rest. So that's awesome. So now, and were y'all, were y'all, did she, were, was she being seen at, at the medical university of South Carolina? Uh, no, we, uh, at, at first, her um, she went to a annual checkup like you have to do at the yeah. VA um, because, again, we were still trying to get our financial footing together. So the VA was where we got our health care. Um, and a VA assistant told her, I'm looking at your records. I see you were deployed. Uh, you need to go get a mammogram. And at the mm -hmm. time, she was 37. And she said, I don't I, I think I'm fine. And she said, no, nah, I think you need to go. So. They booked an appointment. She actually skipped her first one, mm -hmm. turned 38, um, went back, finally got it. And that's what kind of got discovered. So we were bouncing back and forth between the VA and a private practice that was uh, right across the street, sort of from Charleston Southern, mm -hmm. uh, because the idea was that if we're stuck in Charleston, we, it would be easier for her to go get treatment at this private place instead of having to go drive down 26 to mm -hmm. get to downtown Charleston um, and do treatment there, then go all the way back up to Charleston Southern if she had to teach a class or something. Right. Um, so we're trying to figure out those kinds of logistics. And for a while, she was going back and forth between the two. Uh, now, the people that she was working with at the VA, uh, the VA works hand in hand with MUSC. Um, so there was a little bit of bleed over, but it wasn't it wasn't much. So, so here's the, here's where I'm the, I think where the meat of the legal stuff kind of kicks in, or I could be wrong. 
at what point, once she had the diagnosis, at what point did, um, was there discovery that it could be tied to the military service and deployment from the burn pits? Because I think you said she, she, someone, another female she was stationed with had this similar, a similar issue maybe? Yeah, they, uh, and I only, I barely remember this story, but she had, she's mentioned on a couple different occasions that she had uh, another woman that she was deployed to that I think lives in Virginia. Um, she had the same kind of uh, breast cancer, advanced breast cancer that Kate had had. Uh, when Kate was originally diagnosed, they thought it was um, hormone positive, meaning they could control it by dealing with hormone therapies. And 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 we did see results from that, um, good results. But over time, we started seeing um, it. It came back, uh, or it didn't. It's not that it came back; it was always there. But we hit regression for a little while. And then it started kind of coming back with a vengeance. Um, and during, and that was at the end of 2018 when it started coming back and becoming very pervasive throughout her body again. Um, and at that point, uh, Kate had already been having conversations with people throughout the veterans community, um, conversations with people throughout the VA, and they were noticing higher rates of breast cancer coming back from women uh, from theater, the estimates that she had talked about were between 20 and 40%. And that's, and the reason why the gap's so wide is because it's difficult to nail down female veterans in particular, because oftentimes, um, when females come back, uh, they come back as invisible veterans. They either don't want to be tied to the military at all, or they just kind of go start a family. And that, that ends up taking them through either different insurance or, um, over to different parts. They just don't really identify anymore and participate in veteran service organization activities because they got, I mean, women are the only ones that can build families uh, and have babies and everything. So that's, that's kind of how it goes. So uh, she started figuring that out. Uh, and then once we started seeing the progression again, late 2018, they did more biopsies and they figured out that not only did she have hormone positive she also had triple negative and she also had um what was it her two positive but none of the tests that they ran initially and subsequently showed that she had genetic predisposition to breast cancer it doesn't run in the family um so based upon all the testing and everything from a lot of smart people they had to conclude that it was environmental um in one capacity or another so for people who are not, who are not, or have not had to deal with um, cancer, what does it mean when you said uh, like uh, the hormone positive and two false negative? What is, what does that mean? Uh, it means two things. Uh, broadly speaking for general consumption, it means availability of treatment options and what, what kind of standard of care you're able to receive. And then it also depends on what your timelines look like. Uh, the worst diagnosis you can get if you get breast cancer is triple negative. Um, timelines don't look that great when it comes to stage four. Uh, if you have hormone positive, which is what Kate was originally um, tagged with, you've got a plethora of options and longevity looks good. 
Um, there's a lot of tools that are in uh, doctors' tool sets to be able to to combat it. Uh, and they come to find out she had all three, um, which is rare in and of itself. It's not unheard of, but for someone that didn't have a didn't have the BRCA gene, um, highly unique and um, uncommon. So when we had some very smart people taking a look at it, uh, that was their conclusion, was that because of her exposure, uh, having to run around uh, parts of Iraq that she did and having to continuously do PT and everything outside, run past burn pits and everything um, to keep up with fitness standards, that, that's the conclusion that they came up to. So for Matt, for you, um, <clears throat> seeing you know, now that now that they're up next living next to you and she's having to go through these um, different treatment options and knowing that there's you know her days are now more numbered than than one would expect or hope what was that like as you saw her go through the treatment and everything yeah um you know at first i was the first year or so, she seemed really, really good. Uh, um, she anytime she would um, engage socially with that with us or like want to have a dinner, she was always upbeat. You know, she had energy. You know, she was working for the first uh, with uh, the mission continue. So it didn't really quite seem real. It just seemed great that they had moved up here. You know, um, and we were having dinners quite frequently, hanging out, seeing each other all the time. And she seemed like physically good. Um, of course, she had, you know, bad days. She started sleeping more and more, but she still had her hair and, and everything seemed good. Around Thanksgiving, I guess that first year is when we got some some bad results, bad um, news, and um, the treatment was going to change. Um, um, and once she lost her hair, that was really hard. I actually uh, shaved her hair that night, um, shaved her head that night. Um, that was tough. Um, so then it, I guess every every so often it would get more and more real. Um, and I remember going with her to uh, one of her appointments and I met her her doc um, who was really good. And um, I asked her point blank, I said, hey, have you ever seen anybody survive this? Um, has anybody ever beat this type of cancer? And she looked at me and she said, no. And I didn't believe her. I, I mean, I believe, I believe that she was telling me the truth that like, she no one's ever beat it but I was kind of in my head thinking like well you haven't met this lady like she's gonna, she's gonna be like I never really bought into it and um I always had hope um that she was gonna be um you know one more day would be good one more one more season would be good um watching her get sicker and sicker was was probably the hardest thing I've ever done um uh, you know, there's, you hate to see somebody that you care and love be in such pain and be sick all the time. You know, if you've ever tried to try to take care of a, a loved one or a close friend who's just sick, who's got the flu or is um, throwing up and just doesn't, doesn't feel good. And it's kind of just laying there. Um, you feel bad, you know, you, you want to do everything you can, but you also feel helpless and uh, you wish you could take their place. Um, and there's really not a whole lot you can do except try to keep showing up and, and get that cup of water and just try to help as, in any way that you can, um, whether that's trying to cut the grass or, you know, take the dog out or, you know, just 
help out with their son, Matthew, um, in any way. Uh, so it, it was a blessing at the, you know, cause we were able to be here. I probably saw more of Kate. Um, I, sometimes I've said, I, I probably saw more of Kate in these last, in the, just about four years we had, um, than I probably would have in the rest of my life. If she had been healthy, um, you know, they would have been all over the place doing, doing who knows what. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we'd see him a, a few days here, maybe a week there. Um, but, but three solid years, uh, is probably more of a lifetime than, than I would have had with healthy Kate. So in that regards, it's a blessing, um, the relationship that we were able to, uh, strengthen and the ability to say goodbye, uh, you know, it wasn't a sudden car accident. Um, it's hard to see somebody decline over a period of time. Um, but it's also, you can, there's nothing left on the table. You could say everything, um, and say goodbye and say, I love you a um, hundred times um, but at the same time it's incredibly hard to watch them take their last breath and um, be unable to do anything about it um, that's uh, that was um, I'm glad that we were there and I'm glad that we were able to hold her hand and, and uh, be there with her but that's a very hard thing to um, again just want to take the, take her place just want to um, I must have prayed that, begged, begged for that many times. Um, you know, just want to take it upon your shoulders. It's it's hard to to lose somebody that you really really care about, um, and the world looks a little bit less bright after they're gone. Um, so that's it's it's tough. Yeah. Oh, go go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't imagine what that's like. Um, and I feel like after after reading stuff about her and talking to Shane a week or so ago, I almost feel like I know her in, in a sense that it seems like she and I have a bit of the, a similar personality in that if you want it, you're going to fight for it. Um, so get out the way. So I, when you said when you said that th when you said that you would ask the doctor if he had seen anybody um, who had survived it and, and you know, the doc said no you were like yeah watch Kate, watch Kate she's gonna she's gonna be number one that's gonna gonna beat this um, but even so I mean it just there was a I, I was actually um, in a car accident and was on life support for three days and my parents were told that I was not gonna survive it but they said like when my dad walked in my heart rate my heart rate increased yeah. And um, and they were like, yeah, one of the nurses had asked him, she's a fighter, isn't she? And he was like, you have no idea. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that 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 spirit of fight um, definitely is amazing. Um, yeah. I think it's just weird. It's weird. And I don't even know if I really thought that at the time that the doc said, because when the doc says something like that, it's it's just so overwhelming and hard to believe, you know, yeah. I feel like it's something that I've reflected on now. Like I didn't really believe that she was going, I mean, we all have a sense that we're all going to die. Like everybody knows that nobody's getting out of this alive, but right. um, you, even with someone saying like, Hey, you're, you've got this kind of disease and um, you're like, it's absolutely going to happen sooner rather than later. It's still hard to believe. Yeah. And it was hard to believe that that uh, was going to happen to Kate. And um, she is such a fire. Like, again, she, 
if somebody said, hey, you've got stage four cancer, Matt, you know, would I have been able to endure the things that she endured, the radiation, the, you know, the four, uh, four years of, of just feeling horribly sick and tired all the time. Um, I don't know, like after a 72 hour stomach bug, I feel pretty, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it's pretty tough to get back up after that. So I don't know her will to keep going for her boys, as she said, is, is was pretty remarkable. So, you know, I guess I, I knew that the doc was saying, and I, and I, and I believe it, but at the same time, I was like, it's still hard to wrap your mind around. And yeah. Kate's, Kate is, as you said, such a fighter that, um it's hard to uh ever see her going out but. It, it also didn't help that when she was first diagnosed and they were saying six to ten years uh both sets of oncology professionals that we were speaking to believed it was 10 plus because they were looking at her age they said you're 38 uh most of the women that come through and have stage four are 20 years your senior um if not older and they don't have as long. So with the tools that we have in our toolkit and with everything that we believe we have at our at our disposal, we think you'll get 10 years at least. So when Kate and I first moved up here, the goal was watch Matthew graduate high school. Um, that was the that was the goal and that was the fight. And then later that year, when the cancer got around, um, the first line of treatment. And it slowly started becoming evident that six to 10 years uh, may be the reality. And then the next line of treatment came and it was, okay, maybe six is the max. And then the next line, they couldn't find a treatment that would really stick for very long. Um, So that six to 10 years started slowly slipping away. Um, But they, and that also helped contribute to the idea that it was a unique kind of aggressive cancer that wasn't really seen widely in the population. Um, so. so with that, as those, um, <clears throat> as those numbers of years started to decrease, you know, like Matt was saying, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around that. For you, Shane, um, as you saw that, that number getting smaller and smaller, how, how was that for you? How I mean, you respect- I echo Matt. I mean, it was, I mean, you knew she was sick, but even sleeping next to her every night, you know, you kind of, to some extent, you didn't really believe that it would ever actually occur. Um, So you had to, I mean, it it was me, Matt, and uh, Kate's parents that were in the room that day. And Matt was the only one that seemed to indicate uh, the rest of us that this was actually happening right then and there. Uh, We didn't believe it. We thought it was just something she was going to get over. So even in the final moments, Kate's parents and I were still having a a difficult time understanding if it was actually happening then or not. So eventually, like Matt said, in the first year, just about until she had her uh, haircut, um, it was, she was doing really well. She was able to bounce back and she was able to prioritize social activities and go hang out with her Marine Corps girlfriends. And, you know, she had enough energy. And then that second year, uh, that, that particular chemo was really hard on her. And, you know, she might be sleeping a little bit more. And every every change in treatment brought with it a new uh, series of side effects. Uh, so eventually, um, you know, when the pandemic hit, we're in, I'm staying at home all the time and I'm working from home. Um, 
know, your day was based upon when Kate comes down the, down the staircase, what's she going to feel like? And that dictated my day. Um, you know, if she's coming down and she feels like garbage, that's going to make me feel like garbage the rest of the day. And Matt, Lynn, and myself, we had a very difficult time because to some extent, we're all trying to process and work through this and watch Kate go through this at the same time as what we're trying to shield our children from having to see too, too much of it. Um, and they're most, they're, they're all young. Um, so not only just shield them from it, but find a way to help them kind of navigate through it. Um, all at the same time as trying to put on a face to go to work and pay the bills and still show up for social activities and maximize hangout time and maximize time with Kate when she's awake um, or feeling well enough to interact. Um, so it was it was a unique uh, hellscape uh, that both families had to walk through. Um, during those last three and a half, four years. So, so w with that, with Matthew, mm -hmm. with, your, with your son, Matthew, um, how do you explain to a kid, this is what's going on with mom? Like, how do you, how do you do that? You start off with mommy's got a lot of doctor's appointments or mommy's not feeling well. Uh, there are times where, cause he doesn't get it. And then eventually he was young enough where, I mean, she was, she was diagnosed when he was three and a half. He celebrated his fourth birthday up here with us. So he was just young enough where, I mean, for the most part, mommy was just sick a lot. That's kind of the way that it was. Um, it was around this time last year when we had to sit all of them down and explain to them, uh, aunt Kate doesn't have long. And, uh, we just celebrated our niece's birthday yesterday and you have to sit them down and say, that's the last birthday. Um, so they were old enough at that point to kind of understand. And they knew that uh, she was sick um, and they knew over time that she wasn't able to do as much. Uh, so you have the difficult task of, at least in my case, having to ask my son to step up a little bit more and help out, be a helper. Um, kids love being uh, asked to help. So, and he did, and he would get mommy water and he would get mommy her vomit bags and um, he'd give her hugs every time he walked in the door. And then Sean too, my nephew, uh, Matt's oldest, he, every, almost every day after school, he's walking in the house and Kate would probably be on one of the recliners that he'd walk in and come in and give her a hug um, every day. So it was a family affair. It was everybody trying to kind of lift each other up at the same time as serve each other to work through it. Yeah, I would say Kate and Shane, um, I would say once things started to progress and, and there was always still hope, but it started to get slimmer and slimmer that they were very honest with all of the kids. And um, you know, for example, like when we... When Kate was going to shave her head because it started to, the hair started to fall out, um, she wanted the kids to be a part of it. And um, in regards, like they were present in the room. I think they were there. Yeah. Um, so I don't think they tried to hide. Obviously, you're not going to tell a four year old everything, but um, they tried to have conversations with them. And um, at the very end, I remember probably one of the hardest conversations was. Um, Kate seemed to know that that 
her last summer had had passed yeah. and um this was it um she got really really thin you could just kind of see that look in the eyes of i've been around um, another individual who was who went who passed and had that kind of same look um I called the kids in and um she laid everything out on the table and um told her every you know told them what was happening and um it was hard for the kids to hear that but she it wasn't a and Matthew was there Matthew was there when Kate was dying um at first I tried to keep him out of the room um he kept trying to dodge around me and then I looked over at Shane I said can he come in and Shane said yes I mean he was he held his mom's hand he was right there at the very end um not at the last moment but leading up to it um he knows he he saw he was present he is a very smart young man um Shane has uh, been great with getting him somebody to talk to and and uh, Kate and Shane um even before she passed was um was a childhood uh grief I don't know the, the details of who that was but um Matthew's had support and then the neighborhood he's got a lot of you know neighborhood friends and we had two large it was two or one the last one that stick into my head was we had a big neighborhood prayer um in the in their front yard yeah prayer circle and um everybody was there and um all their friends were there and um matthew he's very much aware of who his mother was and and we promised kate that um my wife and i promised kate that um we would uh, not let Matthew forget um, who she was. Um, so she she wrote out a, a whole prayer journal for him, and um, um, I'm tasked with giving that to him at some point when he's when he's ready. And he talks about her. He doesn't he doesn't pull any punches. So mm. um, he's been um, I feel like from the uncle's side of things, dealing with everything really really well. Yeah, we, it was always a balancing act of trying to be as open and honest with a child as what you can, while also not uh, divulging everything and withholding some things because it's not easy for a child his age to comprehend. Um, so, and same thing with uh, Sean and Hadley and niece and nephew, um, you do something similar and you kind of work through it. Uh, but then you also do everything that you can to make sure that her legacy her memories lasting so we've got uh for a few days kate didn't really sleep in it but for a few days we had a hospice bed in the corner of um our uh, living room and um that was where kate could kind of get some rest a little bit and then people could come and visit while she was um in the hospice bed uh and after kate had passed uh i made the decision that matthew and i were going to dub that kate's corner so we got a corner bookcase and we've got pictures of mommy up there we've got um there's a couple letters from the president that are up there there's a letter from uh the va secretary uh but it's all about kate and it's um and that'll stay there and there's many different pictures and items hanging up around the house um for christmas i got matthew um a build a bear and you can record stuff with it and i got kate's uh voice on it saying i love you repeatedly um because one of her friends uh carolyn was just a fantastic person who got together 
with Kate and uh, a lot of other friends and took snippets of videos of uh, Kate saying, I love you uh, to Matthew because she made a lot of videos for Matthew to, so that she could still, quote unquote, be present. Um, so uh, it's it's a way to we do everything that we can to honor her memory, keep her alive in some ways, um, respect the fact that she still plays a part in parenting Matthew at the same time as needing to move forward and still be able to handle life all at the same time. It's a complicated balancing act that uh, everybody's trying to do, but we're doing it to the best of our ability with uh, both strength and honor being the core values. That's awesome. And I apologize, guys. I did not realize until just <clears throat> now that I didn't have the video on. So I just, I didn't realize you guys were like seeing a black screen. So my bad, <laughs> I just, I, I guess I clicked on it, but not good enough. So, or something, technology, gotta love it. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry about that. I didn't realize y'all were staring at a black screen. Um, I was like, what the world? Um, how rude of me. <laughs> um, so, and I think that's awesome. I have a friend of mine, her, uh, her husband, she's a gold star spouse. Her husband was uh, a pilot in the Air Force and he actually uh, flew Air Force One. He ended up having a, a seizure. So he couldn't fly anymore. Cause I mean, that's for obvious reasons. You have one seizure and you can no longer fly cause you don't know when this is gonna happen again. But um, it ended up, it was a grand mal seizure and he had brain cancer. Um, so, and they had two daughters and so they were, you know, he, he did some things that were similar to that. He, and it, what, what she said is sometimes, and that was in 2014, I believe is when he passed away, but because they knew that it was coming at, at any point, they were able to spend more time together and make it more meaningful, but also apparently he he hid notes throughout the house and so randomly i think just last year they found a note you know almost 10 years later that they just didn't know existed and you know and he apparently he wrote notes um for a high school graduation for a college graduation for the first job you know i'm proud of you kind of thing so i think that i do i think doing things like that or the build a bear I think those are pretty awesome ideas to say, hey, look, don't remember mom as the one that got cancer and left, but the one that still cares and is there to support you. So I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Now, with that, too, and, and even um, for the other kids, too, I remember my grandmother passed away when I was six and a half or seven. And when my dad had picked me up and um, said, give, give grandma a kiss. So I kissed her on the cheek. And I was like, so where's grandma going? When is she going to be back? Because as a seven-year-old, I couldn't comprehend what death meant. So when they said, okay, well, she's going to heaven. Oh, can I go too? Or when is she coming back? Those type of questions, because we just don't at that age understand what all that means. Do you find that with the kids, you're still having to to um, let them know or explain that we're not going to see her again until, until we die or how, how, what are some other things you've run into as it I, relates I, to that? Yeah. I don't think now, 
I don't, okay. I don't think now at all. I think uh, Matthew was very similar because he was almost eight um, whenever she had passed. Uh, so it was it was similar. Of I'm, I'm pretty sure I recall that same question of well, can I go to heaven? Um, and having to having to help him understand that no, 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 you're supposed to live a long, full, health healthy life, um, and then eventually you'll get you'll get there um while also helping him understand that you know it's not automatic and you need to not be a turd uh you need to make sure that you're doing <laughs> at least something um yeah. so um i haven't really seen uh, a constant struggle with that because eventually that grasping the fact that mommy's just not here because everybody had to walk through that and you know um Kate's mom would there were there were times even six months later where she and I would talk on the phone and she'd say you know there, there'd be something that I'd see on TV or I'd read an article and my first thought is I want to call Kate and I want to talk to Kate about um it so everybody and I, I guarantee you there's friends of Kate's that uh, would probably say the same thing because mm-hmm. um, she was so very conversational and she loved uh talking about not just um random news events but also very difficult deep conversation she that was her big forte she loved doing that um so everybody over time has had to grapple with the fact that she's just not available anymore to talk to or to be around um and then it kind of just goes through the healing process of stuff like that are you sure that we're not related matt because i'm just saying like i'm that's how i am too i don't like big crowds but I love those one-on-one conversations or a small group of people where you can have those more intimate, deep, deep dive into life kind of things. Um, Cause that to me, that's where, that's like where the meat of a relationship is. It is being able to have those personal conversations. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's all about you. Oh, uh, (laughs) one of my favorite favorite memoirs is uh Tuesdays with Maury by Mitch Album. I don't know if you ever read it, but in their line, Mitch Album, uh he's he said, or Maury Schwartz, who passes away, um, says to Mitch, uh, death ends a relationship. Death ends a life, but not a relationship. So as long as there's been, as you were saying just a second ago, um, time and effort that has been put into the relationship while the person was alive and you remember them and tell other people about them, then in that regards, I don't feel like it's over and you can still ha- carry them in your heart. Uh, we're also, our families are um, a strong faith background. So as Christians, we, uh, we try to embrace, um, you know, ra- raise our children in that environment. And uh, I feel like a lot of the, their questions um, are um, discussed and, and um, explored, um, you know, weekly, if not daily. Yeah. Um, so that's been the, the real foundation and rock of um, our ability to to keep moving forward is our is our faith and our um, and, and our go ahead yeah and I mean that's um, that faith and that leap of faith that we took to get up here um, you know our son Matthew is named after this Matthew for a reason because I knew that Kate had a strong relationship with Matthew and then even though I wasn't sure when we first moved up here. Uh, how long we had and what life looked like after she was gone. Um, I had, I didn't know if I was going back to Alabama. I didn't know if I was going anywhere else. I just knew that 
the right thing to do was to make sure that Kate was able to, for as long as she could, live next door to um, family, be near family, because uh, it was important. And her family scattered around because they're all military brats. And, you know, it's uh, it. this was the only spot. And I, I kid you not, we applied everywhere that every other her two sisters lived. Uh, we applied to places where parents were living. We tried and shot and, and missed every single time. And the only place that worked out was this. Um, so it was that faith-based uh, leap of faith and then being able to kind of uh, take what the community was able to offer. Because, I mean, it's not just uh, Matt and Lynn and the kids. It's the entire community that kind of rallied around both of our families and helped lift us up and we can kind of turn to for strength and um, be able to talk about things and also be able to, you know, Hey Kate, let me take Matthew for a couple hours and let me uh, either take him for ice cream or let him come over and play for as long as what you need and everything like that. So it took a, it took an entire village to get us through this whole thing. Dr. Kate Hendricks Thomas passed away peacefully surrounded by her loved ones this afternoon. She developed cancer from toxic exposure while in the United States Marine Corps and battled it for four years while advocating for other veterans. That was posted exactly one year ago today, April 5th, 2023. How blessed I am to have had Kate in my life for almost 10 years thanks to her marriage to my nephew, Shane. She told me one day, Aunt Pam, please teach Shane how to cook. I do not want Matthew to be raised on fast food. Just like Kate, she was always thinking of others and how she could make their life better in the future. Kate and I also had academia in common and always felt a great deal of connection because of this. Little did I know just what a blessing and inspiration. Hi, this is Leslie, Kate's aunt, and I just miss her so much, particularly her beautiful smile, infectious laughter, and brilliant blue eyes, and all the love she had for everyone in her life. I miss you. Love you. United States Marine Corps Captain Katherine Hendricks Thomas lost her courageous battle with stage four breast cancer on April 5th, 2022. Thomas was diagnosed with three types of breast cancer in 2018 at just 38 years of age. The cancer is attributed to the exposure from the burn pits during Thomas's service in Iraq. Thomas was born in a military family and lived in several different bases throughout her life. She grew up with three siblings and along with her brother, decided to follow in the father's steps of becoming a United States Marine. In 2005, Thomas was deployed to Fallujah, Iraq, where she served as a military police officer. It was there 
that Thomas was exposed to smoke from burn pits containing toxins now known to cause cancer and other service-related diseases. Thomas was a fierce advocate for those who suffered from illnesses attributed to burn pit exposure. On June 7, 2022, President Biden signed into law the Dr. Kate Hendricks Thomas Supporting Expansion Review for Veterans in Combat Environments, which is known as the Kate Hendricks Service Act. This act requires the VA to provide mammograms to women with possible burn pit or other toxin exposures. Thomas left active duty in 2008 and went on to earn a doctorate degree in health education and promotion. She wrote several books examining veterans' mental health and the unique experiences of women in the military. Captain Catherine Hendricks Thomas is remembered for her dedication to bettering the lives of veterans and active duty military.